So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo, and I'm so glad you decided to tune in with me today. So we've been uh, digging deep into this, this study of the Revelation of John, um, and we have been digging deep. I mean, it, it starts off, Revelation, I'm not going to say it starts off slow because it doesn't start off slow. It starts off in, in three different sections. But once you really get into this third section, I would say probably about two or three uh, episodes ago, it gets... Harry. <laughs> and we are in the thick of it. We are in we are in the hairiness, the thick of it. But I'm going to I'm going to try to help you understand best of my ability today. Um we're in Revelation 8 today and and I want I want to help you understand that uh 7 was a parenthetical passage or um we talked about 7 the last time. One of the big things that we talked about the last time was that it was a pause from the first six seals. Now there are seven seals, but the first six seals, it was a pause or such. And verse chapter seven enters and chapter seven comes in and it presents this whole new idea of this 144,000 and this, these extra people, this fruit of that 144,000 that comes after them. And so it gives us this interesting pause or such. Um, but I think we're going to see today or at least the next time, uh, we'll see that, that it was necessary that this, what happened in seven happened before this next portion. Uh, because really what happens in eight, although it is the seventh seal, it begins this new era of judgment. And we're going to, we're going to kind of go through that. But, but before we dig into revelation eight, I think we're going to have to do a little bit of, uh, work in Joshua. And as we dig into Joshua, I think it's going to help us understand, uh, what's taking place in, uh, revelation eight. Now, if you got some extra time, if you're into Bible study, and, and I would imagine if you're listening to Bible school, you probably are. I would recommend you go read the first 12 chapters of the book of Joshua. Uh, and then take those first 12 books of uh, chapters of the book of Joshua and then re reference that in comparison to Revelation 8. And I want to see if, if you can pull out some of the things we're going to talk about. I'm going to kind of go a little quickly, uh, but I want to kind of set the stage uh, because I think what happens in Joshua 5 and really in those first 10 chapters, it kind of gives us a background or a, con a consolation of what is actually taking place here. Uh, like I said, I love Revelation because Revelation kind of makes you dip into all the other Bible. It makes you be very learned because if you read Revelation and you're not really learned about the rest of the Bible, it's just kind of like hoopla. You're like, okay, that's weird. They have uh, 10 horns and seven heads. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> They're beasts with a lot of eyes. What is it? But when you kind of dip into the rest of the Bible, it kind of works to paint this picture of, um, 
a more holistic image of what God is doing here in the consummation of all things. Okay. So I want to do this. I want to do a quick uh, comparison of Joshua to Revelation. I hope it's going to be. Now, I want you to first think about this. Joshua, uh, Old Testament book, the Hebrew name is Yehoshua, which is he. Um, yeah, Yehoshua, which is G- Jesus in Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek um, interpretation of what Jesus's name was in Hebrew. So it's already titled a little funny. Um, but it's, it's not funny to the Jew because the Jew hadn't met Jesus yet. Uh, it's, it's funny to the Christian who reads this word and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. That is ironic. (laughs) How did that get there? Um, but you know, if you've not read Joshua, let me just give you a quick lowdown. Joshua, this is this military leader and he's leading God into the dispossession of the land of the usurpers. Okay. So he's leading, uh, God's people into this land that God has promised them to have. And, and as he's leading them into this land, um, He's there are people who are already living there. And, and so his job is to go in there and take the land from the people who are living there so that God's people can have what God has called them to. Now, I want you to think about this. We're in revelation, which is essentially Jesus is doing the same thing just with the earth. He's, you know, you just move the decimal point, decimal point of the comma over just a little bit. And, and Jesus is doing the exact same thing with the earth. Earth is just much on a much larger scale. It's, it's way bigger. So what, what Joshua is doing there in one city or one land, uh, God is, Jesus is doing here with the earth. Now, when you think about this, now the land of Canaan had 10 tribes, three are dealt with and seven survived. Now in revelation, uh, in, in a couple of chapters, we're going to see that there are going to be seven heads and 10 horns, and that's going to be a, a symbol or a type of the Antichrist who is going to wipe out three nations that are going to be up under him. Uh, and, you know, just, just kind of hidden things. That, that's something you kind of have to look for. It's not something that's going to just drop out of you, uh, at you. But I want you to think about the Jewish calendar. And if you're not familiar with the Jewish calendar, there's a month called N- N- Nisan. Um, now, we're given dates. Um, when we start stu- studying the Old Testament, we start studying the Jewish, um, the Jewish history. Joshua, they cro- crosses over the Jordan on the 10th of Nisan. And then they have to circumcise the people because they haven't been living quite right. They haven't been living in, in the way of God because, you know, they've been in Egypt um, for the, and, and they're not living right. Well, they circumcise the folks on the 14th of Nisan. Now, they listen, they, they, they cross the Jordan on the 10th of Nisan and then they, they are circumcised the folks on the 14th of Nisan. Now, on the 10th of Nisan is the same day that Jesus enters Jerusalem on the triumphal in, uh, entry, uh, the day that we call Palm Sunday. Um, on the same day, same day in history, like to the, to the point. And that's the very day that Gabriel tells Daniel that he would do it. And over about, you know, 500 uh, years or so. And he enters on the exact day. And it happens to be the same day that Joshua crosses over the Jordan. Okay. Now the 14th of Nisan, he's also crucified. Now remember the 14th day, that's the same that they circumcised. Now think about that's the day that they set apart. They get a new life when they're, when they're circumcised, they're set apart. They're not like the rest of the men. When Jesus is crucified, we get a new life and we're set apart and we're not like the rest of men. I mean, we just, we just look at these things. Think about this. The, the flood of Noah ends on the 17th of Nisan. Okay. Jesus is re- resurrected on the, on the seventh day of Nisan. Now you think about it. the flood ends and they're able to exit the boat and there's a whole new environment. The earth has been, has been, um, has been flooded. The water has begun to, to um, to go down. 
Um, they are, the people are dead. The animals are dead. Uh, things have probably rearranged. The, the moisture barrier is gone. So people are not going to live as long. We're, we're basically living on, I'm not going to say a new earth, but a sim like kind of like a new earth. It's just, you know, it's been a renovated earth. <laughs> if you, if you will. Jesus is resurrected on the 17th of Nisan. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that, you know, that Joshua is uh, a perfect type of what we're talking about, but I think he gives us a lot of inferences and there are a lot of coincidences. And I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that what God wrote in this Bible, these 66 chapters written over 40, 40 years, I believe, I mean, about 40 authors, I believe firmly that he did it intentionally. I don't think that things happen to be in the Bible on accident. I don't think that we can draw conclusions and we find things that are uh, calls to raise our eyebrows. I don't think that those things happen because God wanted us to just, you know, be floating around in the earth and be like, Oh, would you look at that? No, I, I, I firmly believe that when, uh, God does these things and when he opens such doors and, and when he allows us to see these, these coincidences, and I don't think they're coincidences, you know, I, I hear Jew, Jewish scholars say that kosher, um, kosher, huh? that coincidence is not a kosher word. Okay. Um, when we think about this, I don't believe that God is a coincidental God. I think God is an intentional God. I think that when he puts things into writing and when he allows us to see things in his word, I believe that he does these things because he wants us to see how much he's in power, how much he's in control, because sometimes things look wonky and especially kind of the things that are, are going to be happening from the earth. If you're not reading you know, if you happen to be in Revelation and you're around in, in seven, six, seven and eight, well, six and eight, um, if you're around in nine, ten, and you know, you're around in this tribulation period, your assumption would be that God is not in control, is that Satan's in control. But God is demonstrating here by allowing us to see his fingerprints on all of this, that he is very much so in control and that nothing in the entire universe happens without his co-signing. And, you know, a lot of times that that's kind of hard to deal with because people would often say, how could a loving God allow X, Y, Z? Why would a loving God pour out bowls of wrath? But I think the truth of the matter is, is that's, that's kind of what a loving dad does. Um, there were plenty of times I screwed up as a kid and my dad wanted to do stuff for us. He wanted, he wanted to be able to give us things, but he said, I can't reward bad behavior. That's what a loving parent does. There were times, there was a time, oh my God, there was a time that my mom, we were going to have a barbecue um, and my sister and I were hosting a barbecue. We were inviting friends. It wasn't a birthday. It wasn't Christmas. We were just hosting a barbecue and it was Aaron and I, the, we, you know, we decided we wanted to have a barbecue. So my mom has gone to the grocery store. She's coming back. She's bought all this food and she comes back and the trash cans are on the street and the kitchen is dirty. Nobody's cleaned their room. She comes home and she cancels the party. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've invited people. People are coming tomorrow. But she said, I can't reward behavior. And y'all won't even do the bare minimum that I've asked you to do. This is a new, I ask you to clean your room every week. Yes, you, you both know that the kitchen is supposed to be clean. You know that the trash comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, and yet here you are and nobody's moved. I've been to the grocery store to shop for your party. But you can't even bring the trash cans up from the street. They've been down there for three days. And so a loving parent. It's not, it's not their, it's not their excitement to punish you, but they understand that sometimes they have to, to get you to, to see. And then at some point they have to give you a hard no, if you refuse to change. And that's what we see. Now, I want you to think about this, you know, 
I want you to also want I also want you to think about this. Who fought the Battle of Jericho? You know, we sing that song, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. You know, we sing, we sing the song or whatever. But let's go to Joshua 5 real quick. Joshua 5, I'm going to start reading it. Verse 13, we find these words. He says, and it came to pass when Joshua was, was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there was a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up unto him and said unto him, art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from thy foot for the place whereon thou stands is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, the first thing I want you to kind of see is that usually when we think of captains in, in the military sense that we think of now, we think that it's a high a high, um, it's a high honor or high, uh, field grade officer, but we think it's a field grade officer. This is not, usually when we think, we don't think it's the guy who's making the calls from the tent. This is the guy who's on the field, but in this tense, in this case, uh, the, the context and the tense of this suggests that this is the number one guy. This is the guy who's really, really in control. And I also want you to notice something from the text as well is angels are not to be worshiped. You remember there was one angel who allowed himself to be worshipped and actually wanted people to worship him and he's no longer an angel. He got put out of heaven. If you don't know this story, read your Bible. <laughs> uh, but I want you to notice that this guy, this guy in particular, um, where this guy, he demands it. And so we can deduce that this is probably Jesus concealed. This is Jesus concealed. I also want you to notice that at the at the battle of, of um, Jericho, most of the law or the Torah is ignored. Okay, most of it's most of it's ignored. Um, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is, it, according to the Old Testament, is not supposed to go into war. It leads the parade. Okay. And, and, you know, that makes me think about it. The dwell among us, God is present. So when we, we're thinking, you know, there's potential that this is Jesus concealed. Okay. The potential that Jesus is concealed tells us that the dwell among us, God is already there. When we look back at Exodus and we start looking at the models of the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, how the, the, they, he wants to be, um, carried by his people. And when they put him on the cart, the cart trips and it falls. And when the cart trips and it falls, they don't know what to do about it. So they send it to Obed Edom's house. And when they send it to Obed Edom's house, he's blessed there. And David gets jealous. When David gets jealous, he, he comes back and he worships and says, Lord, I need your glory. Send your glory. And so they're marching down the way, trying to, taking it back to taking it back. And David is worshiping along the way as the people are carrying it. They didn't put it on a cart this time. And so when we, we start thinking about the, what the Ark of the Covenant represents, it means that God is in our midst. And so I, I just find it ironic that when we read this, that this, 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 this captain of the host of God's armies is present and he's his, 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 um, his, his job description rather, um, he, he allows he allows himself to be worshiped. Rather, he commands it. He says that where you're standing is holy. An angel would not have said that. And so I believe that this is Jesus concealed. Uh, Jesus shows up, but they don't announce that this is the Messiah. But this is God has shown up to fight this battle. Okay. God has shown up to fight this battle. And when he fights this battle, the Ark of the Covenant leads the way because the dwell among us, God, the God of our ancestors, the God um, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not only there in the Ark of the Covenant, but he's there in the flesh. Now, I, I think that's interesting because the, the Jewish law 
says he's not they, the Ark of the Covenant doesn't go into war. And then common sense would suggest that if Jesus didn't come born of a virgin virgin woman, that she wouldn't. But it seems like all of these laws that we we, we seem to hold on to are disregarded. Okay. Now, I also want you to think about this: the Levites, um, and we talked about this the last time or the time before. We talked about how the Levites are often exempt from military duty in this specific um, place where they're supposed to be going to war. They're taking the army. Um, the Levites are exempt usually from, from, um, from, from having to fight, but they're leading the parade. They got the Ark of the Covenant at the front and the Levites are the ones carrying it. So that doesn't, you know, that, that would be contra in contrast to what we would expect if this was something that was kosher, which kind of gives us inklings or hints that possibly that this is Jesus who has shown up, who is going to help fight for them. Now, I want you to also think about this. According to the Torah, you work six days and you rest on the seventh. And they held to that law so much so that if, when you recall, Jesus comes to earth and he announces that he's Jesus, you know, in the New Testament. When Jesus comes to earth, when he heals somebody on the seventh day, they are ready to, to strip him of all authority. But I want you to notice here that when you work, you work six days and you rest on the seventh. But here they do. They do seven times as much on the seventh day. Which would put us in contrast to Torah law, which makes me again think that this is probably Jesus. Okay. Now I want you to see this. Um, the guys that they send in there ahead of them, they call them spies. Uh, but really to me, the thing that they accomplished is that they got Rahab saved. And so it makes me feel like instead of saying they sent spies, they sent two witnesses. Ooh, y'all didn't get that. You didn't get that. Ah, <laughs> the guys they call spies really accomplished the task of getting um, Rahab saved. So even though they call them spies, it seems like they were witnesses. And so before they even went in there, they were witnesses to what God was could do and be. Okay, that's a faith concept. Ooh, that's where we are counted unto righteousness. It, there are so many elements of the Joshua um, account that makes us believe, well, makes me believe in, because you, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to read the scripture, uh, form your own opinions. Um, that makes me believe that this was, this was more than just a, an angel that appeared. Um, but, but, but the fact that they send two witnesses, it makes me believe that it's going to come more in line to what's to come in Revelation 11. And you'll have to tune in to see what happens there. Now, during the seven days, they, they not only marched around, and this is what I want you to see, because this is what's going to be very, very relevant to what we're talking about today. But, but they, they, not only they marched around, but these folks were silent. And then on the seventh day, they were silent the first six times. And then they released a shout on the seventh time. Now, the irony here is that chapter eight in the first, first verse begins here with silence. Okay. They start in silence. All right. Chew on that. I just want to pull two things out of here. Now, after Jericho, the tribes that remain align themselves with a leader uh, called Adonai Zedek. Okay. Um, which is interesting to me. So after the Israelites defeat them uh, by the hand of, of the Lord, um, the, the, those that they defeat align themselves with Adonai Zedek, which means the Lord of righteousness. Now this, this is going to be ironic from what we talked about before here. Um, he's later defeated and with signs and the sun and the moon, hmm, sounds, sounds very familiar. And when he's defeated, the Kings hide in caves and they say rocks fall on us. Didn't we hear that? We studied that, didn't we? 
Now, I also want you to think about this that's instituted here. And this is why I also believe that it gives us a lot of insight into Revelation. The Jubilee year was instituted when they entered into Canaan. Okay. Um, but they never kept it. And the Jubilee year works. Jubilee, the, the whole thing works this way. Is that first, every seven years, they're supposed to have a sabbatical year. Ooh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Every seven years, they're supposed to have a sabbatical year. Seven times seven is 49. On the 50th year, they're supposed to have a jubilee, which is supposed to be called the restitution of all things. Okay. Um, and, and you're supposed to cut off your debts. You're supposed to release any slaves. You know, it's supposed to be a year that resets. They never kept this. Well, Revelation, what Jesus is doing here in Revelation is the restitution of all things. He's, he is restoring things to the way that God uh, intent. He's purging the earth right now with these trumpets, these bowls, these seals. Uh, he's purging the earth right now. And as he's purging the, the earth right now, um, he's, uh, oh boy, as he's purging the earth, he's clearing the way for his kingdom so that prophecy would be totally uh, fulfilled. All right. Now, what's interesting to me, and we're about to dive into Revelation 8, um, is that we, we were dealing with seven seals. We've, we've dealt with six. Now the seventh seal is, has seven trumpets in the seventh seal. Okay. When we get to the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet is going to have seven bowls of wrath. Um, and so there's this, this interesting little format that he's got. And it's like, if you don't get it this first seven, I'm going to make sure you get it the second seventh. And then you don't get it this next time. I'll make sure you get it. Uh, God is, is a, is a very intentional architect in crafting the way that he deals with everything, mankind, um, the earth, the universe, he's very intentional. And so he, he steps up his punishment. He steps up his, his formation as if we, if we didn't get it one way, he's going to give it to you another way. All right. Revelation eight. Here we go. Revelation eight, verse one. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about the space of a half hour. The silence is a precedent to the trumpet judgments, okay? It's kind of like they're catching their breath after these big waves of worship, okay? And you think about that. We just came out of this worship. Um, we're looking all in heaven, and, and there's people that we don't even have enough numbers for. And I was taught in school that numbers are infinite, even though letters aren't. <laughs> But they're, they're, they've just come off of these big old waves of worship. And to catch their breath, there's just like a silence. Y'all ever been in good worship? And after you've, you know, if you're a crier, after you've cried, if you're a runner, after you've run, after you've, um, you've done whatever it is that, that you consider worship, that you just kind of have to sit in the presence of God and just be like, mm. you know, that's, that's kind of what it, there's, there's this silence for like the space of a half hour, even though. Kevin is not subject to time, but he's trying to give us an idea in terms that we can understand. Now, I want you also to, to, to notice this. I don't want you, we're about to go into these trumpet judgments. I don't want you to confuse the trumpet judgments with the trumpets in general, because especially like the, the final trump of God that, that's coming. I don't want you to think of the trumpet, like every time the trumpet sounds that bad things are happening. This specific place in scripture, the trumpet judgments are a bad thing. Okay. Verse two. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with prayers of all the saints. 
upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, I don't know if you've been digging in these Bible studies for a while. I'm sure you've had a chance to sit here and, and, and uh, you've heard about the presence of the saints being with incense. And we've talked about, if you've talked about the tabernacle, um, I'm sure you understand that, that that's what, once you get into the, um, into the, into the tent, um, the, the incense that are burning on the altar of incense are the prayers of the saints. And so when they gave him much incense, that's the, you know, that's the prayers of the, of the saints. Now, I also want you to notice, I, I want to say this, and I need to say this well, that if you want to be a serious student of, of scripture, you need to become familiar with tabernacle and the temple. You need to, you need to become familiar with the fact that the ones that are described in the Torah and, or the old Testament are simply replicas of the ones that Moses saw in heaven. Um, because, and, and I'm sure that one day as I'm working through this, we will get to, <laughs> we'll get to the tabernacle, but what I, I need you to, what I need you to really, really, um, understand and internalize is that the, the stuff that we built on earth that God gave specific instructions for, he gave specific instructions for because they were already in heaven and because we were imperfect and could not transcend uh, dimensions and could not come to heaven, he came down to earth. And yeah, boy, that, that's loaded right there, isn't it? <laughs> he came down to earth. And so when I, when I called him to dwell among us, God, that's, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, that's where he dwelt. Okay. That's why it had to be so perfect. That's why it had to be so to scale. And so he, he wanted to, he had to build an environment that he was comfortable with. You know, I think, I, I think I told you, uh, the last time, maybe it was time before that he, um, the Garden of Eden, he he built it to his specification so that he could come dwell among men. And when men entered sin, then the next time he built a tabernacle and the next time it was a temple and then it was Jesus. Uh, but I need you to understand that you, you need to understand what is represented in the tabernacle because it gives us a better picture of Jesus. It gives us a better picture of worship. It gives us a better picture of what our sin cost and why it was so necessary that he did all of this to reconcile us back to ourselves. Because if you read it and you don't have a, a thorough under, understanding of what your sin costs, you're going to say that God is dramatic. And he's kind of flagrant. <laughs> if we be honest, he's kind of flagrant, but you're going to say God is dramatic and it didn't take all of this. Okay. But I need you to, I need you to really, really, really understand. Uh, and so, you need to do a study. You need to take some time and look at the tabernacle, look at the temples, because it helps us understand first what our sin caused and why all of this was necessary and why all of these people couldn't be in the presence of God because they were nasty, but how sufficient grace is, how big of a deal grace is. Grace is a huge deal. I know we, we've, we've gotten comfortable with it in our churches with our coffee and, and our, you know, we want to be out really quickly and I'm not trying to sit in church. I need you to understand how much, how important it is. Now, I also want you to notice that I'm inclined to believe that this particular verse is in heaven. Okay. We're, I believe that this verse, we're in heaven. Because the angel stood at the altar. I believe that he's sitting there before the throne. Um, I don't think this is in a temple. I don't think this is in the millennial kingdom. I think this here is, is in heaven. Uh, verse four. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the presence of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Uh, I don't, I don't think it was the prayer of the saints would make us reflect on the idea that, that these prayers 
this is the prayer that Adam prayed or the prayer that Abraham prayed or the prayer that Noah prayed or the prayer that Moses prayed or that Jesus taught his disciples to pray that that thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that thy will be done, uh, paired with thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because a lot of times we pray and try to twist the arm of God. We want God to do it our way out, you know, and we will pray and pray and pray and pray. God, I want this. Why haven't you moved? And we, not one time did we say that will be done or, or what in the world is that kingdom come? Well, we're experiencing that. <laughs> we're experiencing that here in revelation. But I think we're getting clearer pictures on what the, his kingdom come, coming is looking like. We're getting a clearer picture. Uh, we're seeing all of these things thrown out. We're seeing God do some stuff. And we're seeing more. I don't think we'll ever see a total picture because I don't think in our, our creation we have the ability to comprehend all of him. But we're getting a more total picture of who he is. I know sometimes we see him as a God of wrath. Um, sometimes we see him as a God of love. We have all these names for him. We see him as the God of peace. Uh, but there's there's this other side of him that I think we're being exposed to. We're seeing how he, even though he's love, he's loving, and he just let this multitude of people in. He showed so much grace for them, those who will not receive him. He's also becoming this God who is he's he's, he's not easily influenced. He's not a a um he's not one of those parents you can twist his arm on. Which is, I believe we're getting a, a very much so um, more complete picture. Verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. There were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, when I first read this, um, the first thing I thought about was that the angel took the censer. He took the prayers of the saints and he filled it with fire and he threw it into the earth. He took a holy thing and he threw it at the earth. And when he took, ooh, when he took this holy thing, come on, Holy Spirit. When he took this holy thing and he threw it into a corrupted environment, it caused chaos. Okay? It caused chaos. I think this is a moment we can take and talk about, about our own selves. Because a lot of times we want to be the savior of everybody. And, and this is not me saying that Christians need to be separate and that you should not go to the movies and that you should not go to mission trips. This is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is he took a holy thing. It was a holy set apart thing that it was made. This is the one in heaven. This ain't even the one in the temple. You, you know how much chaos went in the temple. You know that they would have to uh, put a string around the priest. Uh, around his leg for fear that he would die in the presence of God if he wasn't properly consecrated. But they took the most holy, the most consecrated of things, something in heaven, filled it with fire of the altar and threw it in the earth. And then the thunder and lightning and the earthquake, it moaned, it went nuts. Because when you take a perfect God and you put him amongst nastiness, it does not work. This is, this is, I think this verse kind of gives us a, a, a light or a, a pathway into why revelation is so complex and why it's so, there's so much there because it is my, my whole conviction that a holy God needs to dwell among holy people. And so the blood made those of us who accepted us, uh, us holy, but see a lot of people, mm, 
lot of people want you to believe that you don't have to accept Christ. You don't need the blood to receive salvation when he died, that he's covered everybody else. But, but, but I need you to understand that there is something about a heart that realizes that it's corrupt and that it needs God. And so when you take a holy God and you, you take a holy thing and you throw it into corruption, it causes that stuff to get destroyed. It cannot stand in the presence of God. That takes me back even to the temple or to the tabernacle. Like when the priest, I just said this, when the priest would go before uh, once a year into, into the holies of holies, that they would tie a string around his leg for fear that he didn't consecrate himself right. When you take something that's that's holy, I mean holy, the holy of holies of holies where God dwells. If you go in there and you take something that ain't like him and you put it in his presence, it cannot survive there. Okay. Took a holy thing and threw it into the earth. A holy thing. You know, and, and this verse is very similar to Isaiah 6. And it also, you know, in John 12, 41, John confirms that the person that he's seeing there is, is Isaiah. Uh, but 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 I just I, I just want to sit there for a second because I need you to understand it. Because sometimes we we get so mixed up in sin. We get so mixed up in sin that we become so comfortable. And we begin to, we, we, we become so familiar with grace. That's why it's important for you to get familiar with the tabernacle. We get so comfortable with grace that we take for granted how much grace has been applied to us. We take for granted how faithful God has been to us. We take for granted how mucky and miry and nasty we are. Okay. Verse six, and the seven angels, which are the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. We're about to get into it. We're about to we're about to move. Verse seven, and the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now the trumpet judgments are going to parallel the bowls. Uh, what the trumpets are. Uh, will be multiplied by what the bowls will be, okay? I also want you to notice here, we, we see that they're, they're followed by hail and the fire mingled with blood. Now, hail is always a sign of judgment. I want you to go back and look at all uh, the 10 plagues of Egypt. <laughs> we go back and look at the, um, the the 10 plagues of Egypt. It was one of the, 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 the plagues. And some people believe that these are allegory. Now, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say this that the plagues in Egypt were very literal and these plagues are very similar to the plagues in Egypt. And if the plagues in Egypt actually happened, if the, the water actually turned to blood, I don't, I wouldn't put it past God <laughs> to make it turn to blood again. Uh, I wouldn't put it past God to send hail. I, I would not put it past him because I mean, he did it before because he was upset and he was judging the people and, and their quote unquote gods. Um, and, but there are people who believe it's allegory, but people, there are some people who believe this entire book is allegory now. Um, but I also believe it's probably both allegory and literal. I, I believe that God is very intentional by what he does. Okay. And so, you know, hell is a, a sign of judgment. Um, I, I believe that we can read between the lines on each of them, right? 
Now, I want you to also notice that, that this particular plague is very similar to the seventh plague in Egypt. You can find that in Exodus 9, 18 through 26, and also very similar to Joel 2. I also want you to notice that it mentions the trees. Now, the trees, um, this word for uh, trees in the, in the Greek is the word dendron, uh, which means sustenance, okay? So, the sustenance ooh, of the earth, ooh, the, 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 you know, and, and we, we can go scientific on this. I like to go scientific. Let's go scientific on this. The sustenance of the earth. Now, humans need trees and trees need humans. We inhale oxygen. They exhale carbon dioxide. They inhale the same carbon dioxide we exhale. And we, we inhale the oxygen that they exhale. A third of the trees of the earth burned up. I would imagine the atmosphere suffered for it. I would, I would, it would probably, it was probably harder to breathe in certain parts of the earth. It was, it was probably more difficult because the l amount of oxygen was now limited. Ooh, the sustenance. You, you, you know, you know, and you think about the air. You know, we, we can talk about being hungry. We can talk about houses catching on fire, but the air. Ooh, all the green grass was burned up. Mm. Gone. Grass does the same. It exhales what we need. We inhale what, what it needs. Oh man, the air. Can you think about that? I mean, it it, it gets it, it, you know when you just look at all oh, the trees caught on fire. Oh poor boy, you know, because we burn trees all the time. We cut them down and we make money off them so we can make some paper. And then you know when you own a lot of land, you sell. You know, you make a lot of money. A third of the earth's trees. Imagine what that atmosphere felt like. You're gasping for air. And it's going to get worse when we get to the bowls. But you're gasping for air. Forget about hungry. You can't breathe. Ain't no life. You can survive a little while with no food. You can survive a, a short time with water. But I dare you to try to survive without some oxygen. Verse 8, and the second angel sounded as, as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. I want you to think about it. As it were, because what you know, we've been talking about allegory versus literal translation. As it were is a simile. In other words, it's a metaphor. Simile, same thing. You know, well, it's, you know, kind of. Um, so not necessarily literal, the great mountain that is. Um, but like it were a great mountain burning with fire. So, um... It, when, when, when it was cast in there, there was a huge something that fell into the water, like it, a big bloop, <laughs> fell into the water, and a third part of the sea became blood. Again, I, I believe that the, the latter part of this verse is literal, while, as it were, would suggest that we're in a simile or dealing with a metaphor um, to help us better understand. But, again, the sea turned to blood in Egypt. You remember? You remember? Uh, Exodus 7 is also reiterated in Psalm 105. Um, now, I want you also to see this, this mountain idiom is not a new idiom. It's, it's referenced in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 51, 25. And more, I want you to also notice that more than three-fourths of the earth's surface is ocean. Mm -hmm. So a third of the earth's ocean. Uh, think about this. The Pacific Ocean by itself. The Pacific Ocean by itself is a third of the earth. The whole Pacific Ocean is bloody. That's the western United States coast. That's the eastern 
a post of what's it called of of Asia blood just blood imagine all the fish is dying that's who but then because it's blood all the fish are dying that's food third ooh, food think about all the fish people countries eat most people eat fish. You know, I think we're special over in the United States. <laughs> but, you know, all that, all that fish that people eat. Now, I can't eat it. But all of, all of that seafood that people who are hunters and gatherers or people who, they, you know, they got a taste for salmon or trout. Gone. Whew. You know, wow. Mm. Verse 9. And the part of the earth... And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. That's my whole point. You know, they died because it became blood. Now, I want you to, I want you to jot this down. Hosea 4, 3, Zephaniah 1, Isaiah 2 gives you similar remarks describing these judgments. Now, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, Wormwood. Well, I'll start with here and then I'll tell you what I thought. Wormwood um, is the same word for absinthe, which is a plant. Uh, but it also means undrinkable. Um but the, the plant is toxic, even though people try to, <laughs> in the occult, try to convince you to use it as a, as a healing mechanism, but uh, it has a strain of it that is toxic, will kill you. Um, in the Old Testament, it appears frequently and always means bitterness or sor sorrow. I've never seen wormwood used in a good, good way. First of this year, I read um, the screw tape letters. And, you know, the two demons are writing each other. Uh, the demon that's writing to the demon that's assigned to the guy, um, his name was Wormwood. And just the, just the idea that he, he would call the demon's name was Wormwood. And I don't know, it's, it's a work of fiction. You know, bear with me. Indulge me for a second. Um, it says a lot. Bitterness. No joy. Taste nasty. Can't drink it. It's toxic. Being in its presence is toxic. In, in, being in inhabiting it, um, consuming it is toxic. Wormwood. No water. So you think about that. Limited air. The water is now. And we say the waters. So the oceans turn to blood. The waters we think and that's fresh waters. That's even that's even worse. <laughs> so the fresh water. So you know the salt water killing being bloody. That's killing the fish. Killing the animals. Fresh water, that's drinking water. A third of the drinking water on the earth is toxic. So the air is hard to breathe. The air is hard to breathe. The fish are dying. The food is becoming shorter and shorter. And now the drinking water is becoming toxic. Things are getting ugly. 
And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. And so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone for the third part of it, and the night likewise. Now, if you think about this, this is a very analogous um, to the ninth plague of Egypt, Exodus 10. It lasted three days. It was dark for three days. And a similar thing happens in Revelation 16. And Jesus mentions in Matthew 24 through 29, uh, Matthew 24 verses 29 to 30 and Luke 21 uh, verses 25 to 28. Let's go to the Luke account. Uh, Luke 21 verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. And the sun's and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the hev- of heaven shall be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud and with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for redemption draweth nigh. Now, this is, this is Jesus' um, mentioning to them, but he's, he's warning them. He said, hey, it's going to get ugly. <laughs> They're going to be the sun, the moon, the stars. The earth is going to go nuts. I'm telling you, when 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 I get ready to come back this next time, it is not going to be pretty. It ain't going to be a oh, happy day. Not in the beginning, it won't be. It will be after a while. But in the beginning, it's going to be kind of rough. And for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Set of balance, set out of balance. The, the things that, that normally allow the, and I don't even think that this word is heaven, heaven as in heaven, the place, but heaven as in uh, out of space, the things that help the earth float, the, the stars float, the things there will be out of balance. You know, the nights won't be right. The days won't be right. The sky won't be right. Um, it's going to be a hot mess. And verse 13, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Now, I want you to notice this, that word angel in the Greek is the word aitos, uh, which actually means eagle. And I, I, I don't know why they translated angel, but um, it, that Greek word actually means eagle. And that eagle appears four times in scripture, but it, it, in, in the New Testament, it appears three. Revelation 12, 14, Matthew 24, 28, Luke 17, 37, which is a bit confusing. Um, but I also want you to notice this, that the inhabitants of the earth is better translated to those whose home is on the earth, which is not inclusive of all those who are in the earth. OK, now there I want you to be, be mindful that there are those who dwell on the earth and consider it that their residence. OK, then you have the polar opposite of those who are on the earth, but their citizenship is elsewhere. So that would be the church before the rapture. Um, that would be the people we talked about in seven. Uh, the 144,000, the fruit of the 144,000. Um, uh, but everybody on the earth is not necessarily inhabitant of the earth because the earth is not necessarily their home. Now, those who consider earth home, those people who say, I don't believe in life after death. Um, I don't believe in God. All, all, you know, all that stuff. I worship the devil, all that stuff. Okay. Now I also want you to notice this. Let's, let's jump to revelation 13 and I know we're dipping, but we're only going to dip in two verses. Okay. Revelation 13, let's go to verse 8. He says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose name are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now you think about that. So everybody who's on earth, um, but everybody at this point who's on earth um, 
are not those who are sealed by God. They're not the people who worship God. The people who worship him, all the people on the earth whose names aren't written in the book of life. Even you, you refuse to admit who God is. You refuse to admit who Jesus is. You refuse to acknowledge him. You got signs. You got wonders. There's, there's proof upon proof upon proof, but you refuse to acknowledge him because maybe you're stubborn. Maybe you, you just refuse to see it. Maybe you just refuse to bow to, bow to a, an omniscient God, or maybe Satan has deceived you, whatever it is. All of those who are left on earth are going to have to worship him. Okay. Now, while we're still in verse uh, chapter 13, let's, let's just back up to verse seven. Um, because it says, and it was given unto them to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now I, I want to deal with this idea and I know I've been dealing with it, but I want you to see this. Um, I want to deal with this idea because verse eight tells us that all that dwell on the earth will shall worship him, uh, whose names are not written in the book of life. But he also in verse seven, prior to that makes mention of saints that are on earth. Now, how could saints be on earth? If the if the church has already been raptured, there are a few different groups. Okay. There are a few different groups. And I, and I hope that I've been pointing that out well enough for you to understand, but there are, there are different groups that call themselves God. God is not. God is God in more ways than one. And since God is God in, in more ways than one, the God does not have to be um, tied to one idea. He doesn't have to be tied to one, one, one deal. Um, and so I want you to understand that why would God allow such if the church is not sealed? It's, this is not the church. The church is already in heaven sitting on the thrones, uh, the elders. Um, and, but there's a difference between the church and the saints. And, and it's kind of like those scenarios where... Um, one is not mutually exclusive to the other, even though the other fits in one. So saints is a broad term. Saints means anybody who believe belongs to, to the Lord Jesus Christ at any time, at any period. Okay. But the church is a, is narrow by definition. The church is from Pentecost to rapture. Okay. So those are who come to Christ from Pente the time of Pentecost to the time of the rapture. That's the church. There are a unique set of benefits that come to us who are part of the church. But prior after that, the saints is a broad term. It's the Jews that are going to be sealed. It's the, the people who are going to come to Christ during the, um, during the time, during, during, during the time of the tribulation, all those people, that's a broad term. And if, if you belong to the Godhead, you're considered a saint. Now there's a different, um, there's a different, classification, if you will, to each, you know, there are different promises made, you know, the church is made is joint heirs with Christ. It's the bride of Christ. The church belongs to God. Uh, the church, we, we, we reign, we are joint heirs with Christ and we rule with him. We're king, both Kings and priests. There's a, I mean, there's a special gifting to those who are part of the church. Uh, but there's, there's also a special gifting to the Jew because Jew were the chosen people. And so there are promises that were made to the Jew in Christ. Okay. So from church, from, from, from Pentecost to rapture, the Jew, the Christian gets the gifts of the Jew, but that does not negate the place of the Jew. Okay. Because he still has to work his plan beyond rapture with Jew. I hope that makes sense. All right. I hope that makes sense. Now, I also want you to notice this, that we've just only, we've only dealt with four of the, of the judgments, but these last three are what we consider the woe judgments. Remember I just read that 
Uh, in verse 13, that, that they say, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. It's about to get worse. It's going to be worse than the four. The four. And, you know, the, the four, you know, they just kind of seem yuck. But it's about to get worse because of the woe judgments. But they're still the trumpet judgments, okay? don't I don't want you to miss that. But they're going to get their own chapter because it's going to be so deep. Now, I want you to also notice that um, the trump the trumpets happen in chapters 8 to 9. The bowls happen from chapter 16. Let's do a quick comparison. The first bowl of seven are aimed at the earth and the beast worshipers. The first of the trumpets are aimed at the third of the earth. And a third of the earth, the aim of the earth, and a third of the earth is affected. Okay, the second bowl is aimed at the sea, and the second trumpet is aimed at the sea, and a third die. All right, the third bowl is aimed at the waters, probably the fresh waters. Um, the third trumpet is aimed at the fresh waters, and a third of the waters are made bitter. The fourth bowl is aimed at the sun and the cosmic events, and the fourth bowl, um, the first fourth, yeah, the fourth bowl, but the fourth trumpet is aimed at the sun, and only a third is affected. Now, these first four trumpets are judgments of thirds as we begin to think about it, okay? And so God is kind of, he's kind of hitting the brakes at the beginning. He said, I'm about to let loose. Are you sure you all don't want to turn to me yet? Because things are about to get hairy and they're about to get messy. Are you sure? Okay. Uh, first four trumpets are the judgments of thirds as we begin to think about it, all right? Now, the fifth bowl is poured out on the beast, all right. The sixth bowl is poured out on the Euphrates. The sixth trumpet is, is a demon army. Army. Mm. Don't that sound crazy? <laughs> and the seventh trumpet. And I want you to notice that the seventh uh, trumpet it claim it placed uh, the claim laid to the kingdom. So he claims places name to the kingdom. And then the seventh bowl is is it is finished. Babylon falls. So all of these things we're we're about to be in for the next several chapters are Kim weakening the countries, the world's powers, uh, weakening Satan's kingdom. And, and it's kind of like he had to do it. You know, I believe Exodus, um, is, is a type of what we're talking about here as well, because you remember he had to do all these plagues on, um, on them, on, on Pharaoh's kingdom for, before Pharaoh let go. And then even after the 10 plagues, Pharaoh, uh, chased them and had to die in the sea. It's crazy, but I also want you to, I want you to take a look at those plagues of Egypt. I want you to go and read through those because those, those judgments were judgments of the gods of Egypt, quote unquote, lowercase G-O-D. And each of those judgments were tied to their idols. Now I want you to notice that the first one has a pattern and so pattern. So does the second, the third has no warning. So I want you to notice the first plague has a warning and this is, this is Egypt I'm talking about. The second has a, a, a warning. The third has no warning. It creates a pattern. And he does that. He Then he goes uh, fourth, fifth, warn them both. Sixth, he doesn't. Because I, I want you to see that the priest, quote-unquote priest, quote-unquote, okay, understand. Um, the priests of Egypt can draw on the powers of darkness to create, quote-unquote, miracles. They can do stuff because demonic power is a thing, okay? They can manipulate stuff and they can do stuff. Now, I, I, I want you to see this, that, that we're about to dip into some really, really spooky stuff. If you're not spooked out yet, it's about to get really spooky. Um, but the powers of darkness can do some spooky stuff, but it's nothing that God cannot triumph. Nothing that, that has more power than God. Nothing that has more authority than God. He has the ultimate amount of power. And that's that's all that, that's important to understand is that he, nobody can... Um, can trump what he is, what he can do, and 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 his his might, and all of that good stuff.
Now, I'm, I'm going to just say this. Um, we, we're about to get into some really, really nasty stuff, some really heinous stuff, some really spooky stuff. I want you to be sure, be sure, be very sure that, that you have received Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior. Um, because a lot of times we'll study this and we won't be sure, or maybe we don't study it, or maybe we hear some, hear somebody talk about it and you just happen to across this podcast. Be very sure, be very sure. Cause we're about to get into some stuff that if you are not saved, <laughs> it, it'll shake you. And if you are saved, it probably will still shake you. Uh, but be very sure because that there is comfort in understanding that when you're watching this, when you're saved, be watching this from heaven and you will not, you'll be sealed. You won't be, but if you're not sealed, I, I want to make sure that you understand the salvation is free. And all you have to do to receive salvation is to confess that you believe that Jesus died on the cross. Okay. That he is the Messiah and believe what you said, say it and believe it, say what you believe, what you said. And all of these benefits that I've been talking about that are afforded to the church will be extended to you. And I, I haven't even dipped into all of them. Like, there's a lot of benefits here that we mentioned in Revelation, but there are benefits throughout this entire canon of Scripture. The entire Bible gives us um, example after example. I just, I feel compelled. I don't know who's listening to this, but you just need to make certain, make certain that you are really saved. Not kind of saved, not grandma pray for me, but saved, saved. All right? Y'all be blessed. If you're not sure what salvation is, shoot me an email. N.A. Jones uh, at the Kojo Company. And I want to talk to you. Or uh, Rev Kojo, R-E-V-C-O-J-O at Nineveh, N-I-N-E-V-A-H dot org. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk. Y'all be blessed. And until next time, this has been Bible School. <laughs>